And today we're going back to Anamaya Kosha, that first Kosha, the one that were first, somewhere in the circle of Koshas, the arc of Koshas, Anamaya, the food body, the physical body. And we're going to talk about that in a different way than we have so far. Hi, I'm Teresa, and welcome to the podcast that explores the stories the body holds and the stories the body tells. I'm Sherry, and our aim is to connect the individual to the collective through our shared stories of living in a body. And each week, Sherry and I pick a different topic and have a casual conversation. This is Anecdotal Anatomy. Hello, people out there. We hope you're well today. Uh, We have a little bit of an announcement, and that is that we are going to be completing the full circle of our anecdotal anatomy, casual conversations about the stories our bodies hold and tell in five more episodes. We're going to do a full circle. We're kind of feeling like we're moving into a different direction and that our conversations feel kind of complete. Uh, but we started with the koshas. Go back to season one if you haven't. We really went into defining them individually and sort of talking about how they in, how they interconnect and all of that. We had guests. We talked about it in different episodes. Koshas are our jam. We fucking love the koshas. So we thought we've got five more episodes. So we're going to go all the way up to episode 88. Episode 83 drops this week. 88, that's two infinity symbols, which means that we are, you know, not... Where we may be gone, but we're not really gone. So we hope that you'll join us on this journey because we're going to be offering a ton of live programs. And if you're local, awesome, please stay with us. If you're not local, but are curious, you know, we can have that conversation. You have our email, but we love you and we appreciate you. And we're so glad that you showed up for these conversations. And maybe these conversations seeded, you know, a wider array of conversations to be had and that they don't end here, but that they are the beginnings of new conversations about our limited beliefs, the stories we hold and tell, our our feeling of being individuals as part of this greater collective. These are the things that we are hoping are now out there and up for conversation. I am excited to talk a little bit about camp, which is our very next program. And, you know, we are coming full circle with the koshas, and the koshas lay at the foundation of every program that we create this holistic view of how we interact with the world, how we interact with ourselves and all the different layers of our being. Like, like Sherry said, the koshas are our jam. So when we are creating our programs, we're always creating them with activities and with you in mind, but with this idea that we want to have something in every program that talks about our physical body, our energetic body, the emotions in mind, the stories the body holds and tells, and all of it with this sprinkle of bliss that sits right up on top of everything we create. So yes, if you're local, we definitely want to see you at your program on our programs. And if you're not local, we definitely want to see you at our programs. So there's, you know, People travel in many different ways to come to a program. And, you know, sometimes I fall into that mindset that you must be local to be to come to a Pennsylvania program. But, you know, our future will hold programs that are not limited to just being in Bucks County, Pennsylvania. So if you're a distance, we would be thrilled for you to hop in your car or on a plane and come visit. 
So our next program is camp, and that's in August. It's August 4th and 5th. That's a Friday night and an all-day Saturday. So there's that. We also have other programs. Please go to our website, anecdotalanatomy.com. You can go to anecdotalanatomy at gmail.com and drop us a line. But anecdotalanatomy.com and look at that events page. There are three programs that are listed right now. And come back often because that will be a running tab with all of the (laughs) fabulous things that are coming up, both virtually and in person. Yes. So today, we're not just ending it there. We're not coming on just to announce. We've got shit to talk about today. And today, we're going back to Anamaya Kosha, that first kosha, the one that we're at first, somewhere in the circle of koshas, the arc of koshas, Anamaya, the food body, the physical body. And we're going to talk about that in a different way than we have so far. We're going to talk about it uh, through the lens. Remember, last week, we started breaking down the CAMP acronym that C was for community and communication and creativity and connection and all of that. Today, A in camp is about alignment. It's about awareness and it's about anecdotes, those stories that we were talking about. So how do we filter these particular aspects of the programs and energy that we are creating for this camp through the lens of Anamaya Kosha? So that's what we're gonna talk a little bit about today, the different ways and you you won't be surprised Um, at the different angles that Teresa and I take in telling these stories. Because as Teresa says, if you've listened more than a couple of times, you know that Teresa's nature girl, you know that I was, you know, stage girl or whatever. I mean, however you want to kind of put us in a box. But, you know, as soon as you put us in the box, please break down the walls and let us out. We don't belong there. But so anyway, so all of that through the food body, the physical body. I love food, I have to say. So not that, that's <laughs> another thing you would know if you listened to more than a couple of times. <laughs> I am just so happy that I get to talk about food in any way and not only talk about food, but just consume. So Anamaya Kosha, we, you know, we have talked about that before. And I was really kind of amused when I read the phrase, our body is just a big food sack. <laughs> That every, you know, this is the physical thing that we can touch and feel and notice. And it is just the place that processes everything that we need to walk around, right? What we put in, what was the old uh, computer acronym? Garbage in, garbage out. (laughs) So that's kind of how I look at my food body. When I'm not feeling well, I go back and be like, what have I been eating or not doing? Or how am I not caring for this physical part of me. So the food body. And you know, it's so funny when you said it, I hadn't even thought about this, but you know, one of my favorite shows is Supernatural. Fucking love those guys. And it's just such a fun fantasy, you know, kind of thing if you haven't watched it, but they refer to the body as a meat suit. Oh, so, you know, when we think about the physical body as food itself, like we are animals and I know that's kind of creepy and, but if we really think about it, like it's, it's, we, we need the other four layers, the other koshas in order to animate ourselves, in order to be able to be expressive, in order to be able to think and feel and be in the world. But we also need this meat suit. We need this, this physical thing. And so the fact that that's what he called it and you called it a food sack. And, you know, I was thinking about that, that without addressing the other koshas, in the bigger story of our healing, of our living, you know, fully of our optimal wellness, of all of that, 
And we're, we're missing a big part of what we can do to proactively achieve this optimal wellness, whatever that means for each person will be yeah. different. And so I did mention earlier that Sherry and I both are so aware of the coaches as we plan our programs. And, you know, we've talked about this before. It's hard to separate one kosha from the other. But how does Anamaya kosha relate to our program for Kim? Right? How do we put it in? And, and in speaking with the koshas, why would you think about camp in relation to the koshas? And one of the things that I like to talk about there is awareness. So what kind of awareness do we have around our physical body? And I just mentioned, if I'm not feeling well, I go back and I look at my food. What am I eating? What did I miss? And sometimes I'm busy and I forget to eat a meal. And then I'm like, boy, I really feel run down today. And that requires an awareness to pause and think like, what did I miss? And what did I not do today as far as food? Now, I love food that I can feel in my body. When I eat it, I like to like notice, I'm like, oh, that's one of those meals that it just lingers. I taste it for hours after I ate it. And I love when I have something that's so delicious that it lingers with me for a long time. And with that in mind, I like my events to linger for a long time and be processed and digested as you move beyond it, that you get to experience it and feel it in your body and love the way it tastes metaphorically, but that it will linger and stay with you. Yes. And I love that metaphor. Really, it, it infuses everything, this idea of digestion. Even in acting, they used to say, you know, sort of you want to take in all of your lines and all of the stuff, your memorization until you digest it and shit it out. Like, and then that's when you're ready to, to get out there and do it. I'm going to do something I don't normally do, and that's tell someone else's story or at least a piece of it through my own experience, but I'm also going to turn it into a little bit of a, a book promotion for my friend. This, and she's written four books since this, I think. And this is Shauna Ahern, who is in our first season. This is Gluten-Free Girl, How I Found a Food That Loves Me Back and How You Can Too, full of recipes, memoir. She's an incredible writer. But I, I've known Shauna since the 90s in New York City. And Shauna, when I met her, she, I mean, among the, uh, the myriad amazing qualities and talents that she has, uh, she was a baker. I would go into her apartment, and I know I've said this other times, we've talked about Anamaya Kosha, but on her counter would be white flour all the time, always baking pies. When she learned, she'd always had some sort of low-level stuff in her body going on, and it was never really addressed sufficiently until she was uh, diagnosed with um, celiac. So she's diagnosed with celiac, and I, this is all through my own memory, so I hope that I'm, t I'm remembering correctly. But I remember her going through a thing where she thought this could either end me or be the beginning of something really special. And so this goes into mindset, which is something in terms of awareness and in terms of the body, like um, Teresa brought up awareness, this awareness that she had a choice. Um, and it wasn't just an immediate you know, descent into grief of a, a life of food that, that mattered before. It was an opportunity for her to expand and grow. And she became the first person to blog about gluten-free food. So you may know her as the gluten-free girl. And one of her cookbooks actually has a James Beard Award. But this book, How I Found the Food That Loves Me and How You Can Too, I found that to be such a profound uh, sort of acknowledgement of Anamaya Kosha. 
that our bodies do react to the food we put into it. There is a, a cause and effect with everything. But this idea that we can, on some level, understand ourselves better through the food that we're eating and through that digestion process. Now, you know, whatever we do as a result of that awareness, you know, doesn't always fall into the world of highest frequency, at least for me. You know, I, I really do love um, Oreos and they are vegan. So that, that can become problematic. They have no, gluten-free no, no, ones, but they're not naturally gluten-free. Yes. But they are naturally milk saver cookie, not a, not a drop of dairy in there. So, but I just wanted to bring that up because it's, it seems so obvious. And yet it's something that becomes rote. It becomes a part of, you know, the conversation whispered in the background. You know, especially if we're not feeling well, it's not always our food that we go to. You know, years of feeling, you know, sort of these low-level things were directly related to the food. So to kind of consider that as, uh, you know, it's not a diet, it's not about, you know, appearances, but it's about feeling your best. Yeah, and you just mentioned whispers in the background. And since we're talking about awareness, that's another thing about camp body work and the practices that we offer that increase our ability to get to know ourselves on a much deeper level. And as a body worker, I'm always encouraging people to find the whispers in their edges as a yoga teacher to really hone in and deepen that sense of awareness so that we can move from, say, something that feels acute in your body to what else is going on. In my experience, the most acute uh, discomfort in the body has a very long winding pattern for us to find. And the part that's loud and acute and, you know, you're saying, oh, this thing, I woke up again with that thing in my back that hurts so much, right? The back is the part that captured the attention at that moment. But awareness and the practice of awareness is what else is contributing? And this kind of leads me into anecdotes as well, the stories the body holds and tells. You know, I know I've had this week two or three people who have told me that somebody has asked them to look deeper at something that was a discomfort in their body. And it wasn't me. It was another practitioner asking, so what else? You're telling me that your body hurt or, you know, that you're tired or that there's this pain. And the question was, okay, so you've got this overall discomfort. What specifically are the parts that are talking to you? And if you notice, oh, I've got this acute discomfort in my back, can our awareness practices bring us into a deeper sense of knowing our body so much more intimately? Like for me right now, I'll use a personal story. I'm sitting on my meditation cushion recording in a cross-legged easy pose. Now, if I sit here for the whole time that we're recording it, sometime I'm going to get a little bit fidgety, noticing that I'm becoming uncomfortable. It might just be that the first thing I notice, which is often the case, it's going to be the inside of my right knee. I'll sit in this position for a while and then I'll start to notice my right knee. But... I'll also notice that I slipped off the edge of my cushion and I'm not sitting squarely and I'm leaning off to one side. And before I move out of my easy pose to find relief in the inner side of my knee, 
I align my spine again. We've got some alignment. I find my center sitting on my cushion. And all of a sudden, guess what? The discomfort on the inner part of my knee, it goes away. So I could have easily just straightened that leg and the knee would have a different position and I wouldn't notice it. But all the contributors that I didn't take that breath to notice would still be there. I'd still be hunched over in front of my computer trying to see my screen. And I did not find that root cause. My awareness was stopped at the loudest speaker. So I like that you said the whispers in the backgrounds. And I like that you said that you were moving into anecdotes, but you brought in alignment and awareness and anecdotes in that same story. First, you had to have the awareness. That had to come first. And then you were aware of what? Your alignment. The alignment was kind of a thing which told the story of your knee, which then you were able to tell that story and release the experience. John Sarno, I think, you know, in terms of the stuff that I've read and for back stuff, it's very similar. He talks about, you know, needing to know the story in a sense that, you know, that therapy, talk therapy was something that he really advocated for when it came to back pain for a certain demographic and psychographic of women, especially. And I think, I don't know if that was across the board at the end, but I know that it started with women in the 1970s who had bleeding ulcers. And I know my mom had one of those. And, you know, that when antibiotics came in and helped to eradicate that, that root cause or that cause there, that there was an immediate uptick in shoulder, neck and back pain in that same group. So that's why I talked about women, but I think that it became something overarching that it was about our stories. And yes, the physical body manifests. And I had that same pattern. And I told this story before too, about, you know, the three times my back went out and that at, you can't see a pattern one time. You have to have it at least twice mm -hmm. to be able to see a pattern. Otherwise it's just an isolated incident. But for this particular thing, I noticed that the pattern was whenever I was just on the precipice of achieving something I had earned, I had done something to actually earn, the story my body was holding was that I wasn't worthy, that I, why do I get to do this? That this is not something I am able to, you know, whatever that discursive limited thought would be. And so the back pain would preclude my ability to actually fully dive into the experience, the experience of warrior's assembly after, you know, doing 10 levels of meditation training, which I fucking earned and I love it. And I'm still impacted positively today by that. My back went out so bad I couldn't go. Second time in my yoga teacher training, I, same thing, back went out. I was like, oh, I don't think I'm worthy enough to be a teacher. I don't think I'm good enough. I don't think I have enough. Um, all evidence to the contrary in both of those situations. And then the third time, I couldn't figure out the pattern. It didn't fit the mold, but my psychiatrist father helped me get there very quickly, reduced me to tears in minutes, and the next morning I had no pain. So, you know, there is something to accessing those other layers of our being in order to impact and affect change in our physical bodies. And so I think that that can't be, it's not woo. It, it, there's, there are scientists out there who will also advocate for this. And it's also not the only tool in our belt. It's one tool of many. So sometimes it is muscular skeletal and you need to address those issues. Uh, but often there's also a story that goes with that, even when we can hold a lot of different things at once. It doesn't have to be one or the other. Yeah. And again, like I said earlier, it's so hard in telling that story that you just shared with us 
to separate only the body out of it, right? Because even in your telling of it in relation to this awareness and the different circumstances that created the pattern, there was the emotional mind part that came into the reason your back was speaking to you very loudly at that point in time. And I work with many, many clients who will say things to me like, oh, yeah, that's my back pain. It always, always acts up once or twice a year. It never, it has never healed. And I'll hear different statements like, oh, yeah, that's that injury that I had. Every so often, it just acts up again, and I don't really know why. And I always wonder, it was one of the first times that I really began as a body worker to connect with the idea that it is another layer, our mind or our emotions or something else that is feeding into that discomfort. And it's manifesting in the same way. Because one of my teachers said to me, isn't it interesting that a soft tissue heals in four to six weeks, but yet a soft tissue injury that somebody has will act up a year later? Why did that soft tissue not heal? And it did, right? Soft tissue is highly vascularized and it does heal. So my wondering became, did they do the same movement and injure it because although it's healed, maybe it's still a little bit weak? Or is the thing that, that sets off that pattern something other than some, the physical body? Is there another event that's going on? Just like in your story, there's an event and then the two get linked together. So awareness, awareness, awareness is the key to everything. It's the key that unlocks every door. You know, I've heard you refer to yourself as a body worker more times than I can count. This is the first time that when you were talking after you said as a body worker, I thought you're also an energy worker. You're also, you're so, you're so much more than a body worker. You know, you use the body as the, the means of healing but everything that you say includes all of those koshas, which is yet includes the body, but is not exclusive of the body. Yeah. You know, that, and that we, I've talked throughout the podcast, go back and listen to old ones about like raising my woo factor. And energy is always energy. And it took me a really long time to come to that awareness that. If I'm touching anybody, I'm stepping into their energy field and there is an exchange. I would phrase it differently. I would tell my clients, well, I cannot touch you without you touching me. I, even my words early on were physical. If I'm touching you, your body, your body is touching me. And my conversation really centered into something that was very Anamaya physically based. But as I evolved and kept moving and understanding uh, the koshas, through my yoga journey, through my massage, variety of massage trainings, working with fascia, I really started to embody, I'm not even going to say understand, I embodied this idea of this energetic exchange and how to tap into my own energy, which was then a stepping stone into really being able to notice it with others. And it was so subtle. 
the way that I did, the way I came to this. I was at a very crowded training, massage training. And I was working with one of my friends and we were learning fascial release. And I had my hands on her body and I could not get the technique down. And I've told the story again, getting the technique down of feeling that subtleness of change within the physical body was so, so hard for me. And the instructor in the class interrupted the technique time to give some further learning. So I took my brain and I was listening to the instructor, but I never picked up my hands off of the student friend therapist that I was working with. I just left them there and listened to the instructor, which means he got my left brain to pay all attention to what he was teaching me. Well, my hands were just sitting there with me paying no attention to it. And by the time he finished with his lecture, a more energetic, which was only about five minutes, I turned back to my friend who was on the table who I had had my hands on the whole time. And she goes, you have no idea what just happened, do you? And I was like, no, what? And she goes, you were following a release through my body without paying, like my right brain, my hands, all of that part of my being was still connected to her energetic field, even though I wasn't paying attention to it. And I think it's not, it's not unsimilar to the other story I tell about, you know, I want to hear your body talk, your body <laughs> talk and how I felt fascia. It's when I got my left brain to quiet that I could tap into that creative part of, of my being and move into awareness. So again, coming back to awareness, I had no awareness of the energy. It was just so physical yeah. at the beginning of my massage career. And you started this conversation or that this story with this idea of in the beginning, it was touch, it was all physical. But I'm going to suggest that language also is susceptible to the koshas and that the word touch is also has many layers to it that is that are beyond the physical. And so you can't touch me without, I can't touch you without you touching me back is also a heart thing. You can't touch my life, my soul without touching back. Like there's that exchange. So this brings up, yes, awareness for us to be able to act and maneuver and do the things to move us forward. But what about, and this is something that always fascinates me, do things work if you're not aware that they're happening? Is it still happening? And I would suggest, yes, the awareness is that next level. And I've talked about this too. I have a whole sort of idea about awareness that I need to get out there into the world. But there's a secondary level of awareness that exists beyond the necessary awareness it takes to move through our world. And that secondary awareness that's aware of our awareness, and I know this begins to like go into a, a cycle of whatever, but that's what allows us to interrupt the patterns, the patterns of limited thinking, of discursive thought, of you know habitual patterns that are no longer serving us. Because I remember going to classes and teachers saying, you know, just release what no longer serves you. Well, in that moment, I don't have the awareness of what is not serving me unless there's an acute moment of, oh, I know for sure that it doesn't serve me to, to react with anger first or you know, whatever it may be. But what doesn't serve requires awareness, which requires practice, which requires, you know, so much of what we're going to be offering at camp. <laughs> and all of our programs, come to our programs. 
we're excited. We're this is not this is us being really super excited to share what we are doing. You know, we have a friend who talks about like this idea that just saying, you know, comfort inner transformation is is a hard thing to say because what does that mean? If you listen to our podcast with through each of the episodes, I think that there's a piece of this information in everything that we do. Transformation is change. That's all it is. And so you can transform in any direction. <laughs> we would like to be a part of a forward, progressive move of change that allows us to inhabit our highest selves. Sometimes that's not possible, Some, or it's possible, but it's not what happens. Sometimes we transform and we move back a little, or we move a little laterally. You know, it's not necessarily going to be, be the thing, but all of those changes matter. And they are, we are everything we've ever been. And so nothing is ever wasted. Yeah, you had started that sentence with, you know, awareness is, is it still happening? And is it still there if we don't pay attention to it? Not awareness. The thing is the thing happening when we don't have awareness on it. Like if we're not aware of it, are we oh. still benefiting from the choices that we're making, even if we're not aware? Yes. I was, you know, that is a really great question because one of the things that always captures my thoughts is our instincts and how our instincts speak to us, but we, we're not always aware of them, right? Animals, they know their instinct. When I'm watching Siva, a dog can be half a mile down the road, but she knows it's coming like that. Her instincts are sharp. They're tuned in. They're aligned with what's going on and they pique her awareness immediately because she's so in tune with her instincts, as are most animals. I know for a while that, you know, my instincts might tell me something is off. I might have this feeling, but my brain would often tell a story and, you know, rationalize an instinct that was saying, oh, I don't want to do this. And then my brain would like give me a rational story and I would change my mind and say, oh, yeah, that makes sense. I'll just do this thing. But in the end, my instincts were right. So it always fascinates me that humans, myself, had an awareness for You're my You're human? No I'm fucking human. Thing. Yeah. <laughs> All the way right down to the core, man. <laughs> That's um, but as a human, I allowed myself to rationalize away my instincts for a long time. I try very hard not to do that. And I have a practice of tuning into them by spending more time out in nature, really working in a mindful way, which will come in one of our future koshas. So I won't stay there too for too long, but to tap into my senses and really build an awareness of the volumes of information that is going on around me in a simple half mile walk with my dog. We have the bird song and the breeze and the sense. As a matter of fact, I'm going to tell a little story about that. I was walking my Siva the other day and I live in the Pine Barrens. So it's really hard for me to be aware of the scent of pine because it's everywhere. So you be, I became nose blind to it. But I passed this one section of my, my community here, and I was like, wow, this scent of pine, my awareness of the scent of pine was overwhelming because I was like, oh my gosh, that is so 
strong. So I stop and I look around and there was a fair amount of cover on the edge of the road that was all pine trees and I was standing right under them. So here I am standing there with Siva on her leash, paused in the middle, like at the edge of the street, looking at this five or six standing pine trees and just enjoying the scent and enjoying the view. When another person walking comes by and he stops and he stands next to me and he's looking up <laughs> and he's, and I was like, and I turn You're starting a, little... a movement. Isn't that like from, from uh, Alice's restaurant? You yes, can just, one movement. person starts walking and then you get more coming. And next thing you know, you've got a movement, something like that. Yeah, it is. <laughs> uh, I was, so I was so consumed with noticing that one, my instincts didn't tell me that somebody was coming up behind me, but Siva knew she was already wagging her tail and greeting. That's so what you... really captured my attention. But he's like, what are you looking at? And I was like, oh, I'm not looking, I'm smelling. <laughs> and he's like, a different smell. So, but everything you've just said, it brings in the senses. Like we, we yeah. talk about our senses. So our, our senses and our instincts, like the koshas, have to be somehow intertwined. So I know that Luna, my first, my first dog, <laughs> firstborn dog, was a rescue from my friend Sharon, who fostered her. Luna could smell Sharon a mile away. If Sharon was walking at the other end of the neighborhood and she was coming, like you said, that Siva could tell that dog was coming. I expect that that's more sensory than instinctive, just because mm -hmm. they can probably, they have all those receptors for scent. And so, but this idea that not feeling the energy of someone coming in and the instinct, the instinct would be, is this safe or is this not safe? You know, the, the sense of someone being in your space. And again, the word sense, like, how do our senses and our instincts, how are they connected? Because we can smell something or not smell something, be nose blind. I know my house, I know smells fucking like animal. Like the animals have been pooping everywhere. I don't smell it at all even when I come in from outside. But someone else, I think someone was here recently and decided not to come back anytime soon. But that's all to say that is that instinct to be able to recognize the sensory experience or is the instinct the energy of the experience itself. Like I smell you coming, is this safe? Is this an experience that I need to, that I can embrace or be like, oh my God, it's Sharon, come in and give me a hug. You know, what is the instinct and what is the sense perception? That just sort of brought it up for me because these conversations, I'd never thought about it like that before. And then you talked about instinct and, and then all I could see is see that like smelling for this thing that we can't smell because we don't have the same um, sensory perceptions that they have. Um, but so the thing would, if that dog came and it was a mean dog, would Siva's instinct have her with her tail between her legs or would the fur on her back come up? Like these are um, those you're always talking about subtle communication things about um, body language. And, you know, and I know that you've worked with Zen doggy. So you have a, you have a, a huger wealth of information about dog body language. But there's certain things about the hair and the tail and, you know, things that the dogs are telling us based on their own instinctive experience. Yeah, I was just right, wrote that down. So Amy, you know, since we're making our full circle back from season one, Amy was our guest for the end, um, for energy, right? For the energy body, I believe. So I, I would have to go back and look. But energy is wisdom. wisdom. Yes, Ignana. is Siva's trainer. And working with Zen Doggy and working with Amy, yeah, I, she taught me awareness and dog body language to notice, like, you know, 
different things that the dogs would do that would say, this dog is giving you a message, like look at the shackles are standing up or, you know, don't stare right in their face because you're having a stare down when you do like this eye to eye contact with the dog and all kinds of different things to notice that what is this dog telling me? Is she telling me, hey, we're not safe. We got to keep going. And I often wonder that if she's laying and there's dogs going by, why is she like, over so this, one dog, but not the other one can come and go. And she says, hello. You know, um, is she like so excited to see that one that she's saying, hey, Teresa, let's go out and play. Or is she like, hey, pay attention. Look who's here. So let's draw this back into the, the awareness piece. You know, the dog, I mean, we don't know the nature of consciousness and awareness necessarily. I mean, we know that humans, maybe we do, and I just haven't read anything about it or, or heard about it. But so animals have the awareness and the instinct to be their nature in nature, to do their thing. And humans, one of the things that differentiates us is that we get to have that other, those other levels of awareness so that we can affect change. We can, you know, clarify our, or refine our sense of instinct or begin to do practice. Like you said, you have practices that cultivate that awareness, which will necessarily affect our alignment and which will necessarily impact the stories that we hold and ultimately tell. So that's kind of the interesting thing about the animals in connection to this conversation is they don't necessarily get the chance to make those choices. You know, they're working from their instinct, but because we have this tension between thought and ideas and that kind of being able to make choices in that way, Maybe that's the thing that the Manamaya Kosha impacting with this that makes it a little more problematic to, to, to get into our awareness because we have the obstacle of thought. Mm. Yeah. So I like that, the obstacle of thought and mindfulness practices. In, and again, we're, we cannot separate one Kosha from the other, but I'm thinking in terms of alignment. And I can say that my senses, which come from Anamaya Kosha, the physical body, maybe they're processed through some of the others, but they are a part of the physical body, right? How my body is communicating with me. They became so much more refined for me when I started really, really spending much more time in nature in a mindful way. When I started longer walks, varying the different types of landscapes that I spent time in like hanging out on the beach and being in that type of nature and aligning with the scent of the ocean air and the sand and, you know, the seagulls and whatever is there is one type of an awareness practice versus walking in five mile woods. Oh, I remember on um, New Year's Eve, it was warm enough, but it was so misty and foggy and I was walking through the woods in the, in the mist that was so thick. It was just amazing how much and more rich my senses were, even though my sight could not see very far because there was such a, a fog that was going on that day, lifting out of the earth, but also uh, the scent. My scent, because everything was so close and tight, kind of like it is in Pennsylvania right now here, <laughs> <laughs> all of the humidity in the air. But being outside and really connecting with different types of external landscapes, 
built a much greater awareness for me of my own internal landscape of my physical body. And I think that's an example of um, awareness helping us move forward. You're aware that you're in nature. And, you know, I think I've told you the story. I was at a rainbow gathering. I think it was Vermont or Maine. I forget where, but there was a swimming hole. And about half a mile outside the swimming hole, there were all these blueberry bushes that we would go and eat our blueberries. And I remember a guy saying to me one day on the path to get to the swimming hole, he says, smell the rain coming. I was like, what? <laughs> smell the rain coming? I don't know what the fuck that means. But all of a sudden, he planted that seed that you could smell when rain was coming. I never even thought that I could smell if rain was coming. But all of a sudden, I began to become attuned to the, the air and the smell in the air being a little bit different than it was. Maybe it was a little tiny bit cooler. It had a little bit more of a, you know, a scent to it that was, I don't even know what to call it. But over the years, like you're absolutely right. When we're aware that nature can give us that data, we get to work with that and refine it along the way. So when, we, when I talk about alignment with nature and the physical body, I have to think of the benefits to the physical body of being in nature. And so I'm going to keep this just into a, a small segment of forest bathing and walking in the woods, in the forest, surrounded by trees. And I was so excited in my outdoor leadership program when they talked about the trees and the chemicals that they emit. And it's called phytoncides, P-H-Y-T-O-N-C-I-D-E-S, phytoncides. And they have antibacterial and antifungal qualities. And there is a lot of research. I found some research studies on this that the, that particular chemical, when inhaled, boosts our immune system and increases the number and the activities, activity of white blood cells, which is why it enhances the immune system. So there's a direct health benefit for, for walking in nature that is our breath in connection to what the trees release into the air. So that speaks to both the benefits of aligning with the natural world. And it's not been that long that we didn't live out in the woods. I mean, we're cut. So, so here's something interesting. And I saw this on a news thing recently, and I just Googled while you were here, and it added Qatar and Gibraltar and some other places. But Greenland doesn't have any trees. Oh. Any indigenous trees. I mean, they may have planted some or tried to, but the climate doesn't, doesn't allow for that. And so I wonder all of those benefits that we get, are they in their own natural ecosystems that are, you know, unique to that area? Are they benefiting in a different way? Like this is, it's so fascinating to me when something like, yeah, no fucking trees. Like what, what are that? And then what is that? It's hard to even fathom. I just learned yesterday now that you said that <laughs> I was talking about Scotland and uh, with my son and he says, you know, back in the day, they clear cut all the trees. And so still they do have some trees, but they have these expansive mountains and valleys to walk through, but they don't, they also don't have a lot of trees in them because they were clear cut. And I was like, it's fascinating. And so I still have to do some research to like source that and find out more about it. So it was a story. We're in anecdote land <laughs> now, not necessarily fact because I just heard it yesterday, but I want to find out like, what would be 
the motivation to have done that? And it was hundreds of years ago. It's not something recent. So what was the motivation? Is it so? What are the sources? But I found the story when you said that Greenland has no trees. I was like, what is this all about? How do they, where does, where does the oxygen come from? I mean, I'm sure there are other sources and, you know, my, my knowledge of nature and trees, you know, could kill us all. I always say, I know enough to kill us all. The good thing is, is that when we're at camp at Snipes Farm again this year, we do do a nature walk through their trails in their forest. We get to grow through. We, you know, I remember in our previous camp, I started a mindful outdoor experience of walking through the forest and I did something called a fox walk. Here's a little story and anecdotal. Uh, well, it's not anecdotal. It's, it's true. It's still a story. It's still a story. And fox walk is walking extremely slowly and really paying attention to a specific pattern of how your feet connect with the earth. And so walking that path took a little bit of time to uh, allow us to stop and notice all of the intricate detail within the forest, not just different from hiking. Not that you don't notice when you're hiking, but when I hike, I tend to be moving at a much faster pace. Uh, and at the end of the experience, one of our campers said, at first, I was so resistant. And again, now it's coming from the physical body. I asked the physical body to walk slowly and have a specific tapping into the senses, physical body. But the reaction came from Manamaya Kosha, a resistance of not wanting to, I don't want to do it. I didn't want to walk that slow. But the feedback that came back was once I did, wow, I really enjoyed the experience of seeing a place I've been so many times before through a completely different lens in a different way. So her resistance was a story she was telling herself, but she was in a community that she felt safe enough and vulnerable enough to do it anyway. And then to have the experience, which hopefully shifted that idea, that story, maybe wrote a new chapter, you know, edited out a line or two so that that resistance may not be met as harshly next time. And this is part of what we were talking about when we were developing this idea for this, this kosha was the stories that, you know, we hold how, what is, what is transformation? That was a transformational moment. That was something that she did not expect. It was something that she went in not wanting at all and left with the joy of the experience itself. And so when we talk about inner transformation, when we talk about signature programs that we're creating with you in mind, this is what we mean. They're not necessarily these huge alpha moments that are going to take you from, you know, where you are to where you want to be in a one leap. But you're, you know, Hanuman, the monkey god, you can read about him who can leap across oceans. But this is an opportunity to, to tap into the resonances, to tap into the instincts and the senses and our stories, because our bodies will, before she even knew she was resistant, I'm going to suggest maybe she felt something in her body, like a flurry in her belly that was like, I don't want this, or a contraction of the muscles that might clench a jaw or your butt or whatever, <laughs> or your hands, that those are the things that we get to have awareness and we get to pay attention to. Because we don't always know the stories that our body is holding until the narrative becomes clear. And this, this story played itself out and was really very cool to witness. And it felt very satisfying to be a part of. You know, and we don't always know. I've talked about that before as well. Like this is a 
you know, somebody in an experience on the table. It's, I always find it fascinating the stories that people tell me while I'm working. And there'll be a story of an event that happened years ago as I get to a specific body part. And generally, somehow that story relates to the place that I am currently working. And it's inevitable that my clients will say, I don't even know why I told you that. Like, where did that come from? And so, you know, what do you think? What do you believe? I believe that sometimes events happen at the part of our body that most acutely experience that event. What I mean by that is I fell off my bike and twisted my ankle. All right, simple story. But then maybe your ankle acts up on occasion for whatever reason. And when it does, or now I'm working on it, maybe there was a compensatory pattern because I sprained my ankle and now I'm limping a little bit. And so that pattern creates this change that is also a transformation, right? I, it, I injured something. The pattern created something that transformed. I had to limp and my whole gait was transformed to a different way of walking. And then I'll be working on that spot and people will start to share the story. And it fascinates me what can be held in the tissues. And, you know, they'll say, whatever you did last time, do that again. And my question to myself is, did the discomfort in that ankle go away because I was physically working on the tissues? Or did the discomfort in the ankle go away because that person processed that story out loud, verbally, told their story, and moved on from it, right? I would like it's to It's an think unknowable. It's an unknowable, right? Yeah. So they'll say, oh my gosh, look, you, just, you fixed my ankle. And I'm thinking in the back of my mind, did I? Or did just the awareness that you have of this thing that happened sometime in your life, reliving it, getting back in touch with your own personal story, transform the story. And now you're thinking, I, by well, touching it, There's also it, that, that co-creation. Like it's, a, it's, a, it's like we're always saying we're co-creating with the universe. Like there's it's not just us doing it. When you like the body on the table, you can't touch without being touched back. That it's, it's a cooperative relationship that creates that healing. So it also keeps, you know, the, the, the person who is doing the work understanding that, you know, it's not just that, like you said. I, and I think that is kind of knowable, that we have power, but we don't have that much power. You know, that our power is limited to what the response is and how the person on the table is receiving. And so that also brings in that story. And I think that we can also add to this idea of the story the body holds, like for my mom who had this bleeding ulcer in the 70s, you know, she drank Maalox like it was going out of style, antibiotics kicked it out. But there are pictures throughout decades of her life since then, wherever we were, she would hold her stomach, her response to being surprised, her response to being excited, her, her general response system typically ended up with her hands holding her stomach or at least landing on that place where she had the ulcer. Well, fast forward many years later, she got a very rare type of cancer, leiomyosarcoma, which is a cancer of the soft tissue. It's not organ-based, but it showed up right there in that same space. So, you know, I don't know. It's unknowable to attribute the causes and conditions of these different things, but it's interesting to see that there could be connection 
And that's where the anecdote comes in that like, I don't know, but I just find it very curious. That is fascinating. I actually know, knew the story of your mom, but the way you just told it, where you put it onto that timeline mm -hmm. is really, really interesting because I would look at it in a similar thing. And we talked about this in season one was I always think about the things that affect my body are always skin related. And that way back then, uh, 80 something episodes ago when we were talking about it, I was going to remember uh, if you haven't listened, you can go back to the whole FUDEC story where I, my skin was literally peeling because I was putting that chemo agent on because of some squamous cells that I had. And I was telling you, well, I, you know, if the story is the body hold, I've always been told you're too sensitive, you're, you have thin skin. And I looked at all of those previous stories in my head about how I processed who I was or the stories other people told about me that thin skin was somehow very negative. And I was telling you that story and you said to me, wow, that must be why you're very empathetic and compassionate because you can feel all those things so acutely. Again, you said one or two sentences and there's a transformation there. I was able to look at my story and say, I've been telling myself this same story over and over and over again, that I'm way too sensitive and I cry too easily. And, and putting those all into, in my own viewpoint, a negative light. And you said one or two sentences and I was like, okay, so there's the other sides of the stories. Sometimes our challenges are our biggest transformations. And our challenges when That's we look why they're at there. Yeah. And said, what did this challenge actually teach me? What are the positive things that I can pull from that? Those are transformations. And I am guilty. I've gone on so many trainings thinking that I'm going to come back with like this life shattering transformation. Well, yeah, Teresa left. She came back something different. And I did. But for the first one or two times, I was kind of disappointed. I was like, oh, I was expecting like this big transformation. And three or four weeks later, when I had time to process all the information, I would be like, oh, yeah, there were lots of changes that happened. So I, I needed for myself to redefine transformation, the transformational process, to not be always something that I expected to be earth shattering. But to notice, right, this comes back to awareness, to notice the simple changes in patterns, thought, mindset, all of that was a transformation. And for those of you out there who are feeling the same and you need to have some kind of idea of what, how the largesse of your transformation, take a look and take some steps back, like widen the lens and maybe go back a few decades, you know, instead of looking at the incremental changes, which are the things that have led us to this point, go back and see where you started, whatever the origin story, the origin point of where you want to go. Like if I went all the way back to when I was a camp counselor in Michigan, summer of 86, I could go back to, you know, center stage back 1981, 82. Like there are places where I can start and I can see how far I've come since then. And I can even identify, and we have both of us, identified those stories over the seasons that have moved the needle forward, that have moved us along, progressed us on our own particular paths. 
whether it's speaking up for yourself to get a raise or, you know, having direct conversations. I will say the biggest transformation for me in just one area is having gone from someone who took the path of least resistance and behaved more passive aggressively, allowing things to happen and maybe pussyfooting around the issues to someone who really is very direct in my communications now, someone who doesn't have time to, to pussyfoot around and make sure that everything is okay and that I'm whatever that is. If I have something to say to you, I'm going to say it directly to you and ask you for what I need rather than expect you to know what that is from some magical force or whatever that is. But I can see the things that I've done, the choices that I've made along my own timeline that have allowed me to have that kind of transformation in my communication center. You know, there have been other transformations, other courageous things that have arisen out of those choices. But that is only to say that it took a certain widening of the lens and moving back to be able to gain that perspective because the changes are incremental unless they're not. Sometimes we need a, you know, I think of Bugs Bunny and, you know, sort of Acme with the Roadrunner. Sometimes we need a safe to fall down off a mountain and squash us on the ground because we're cartoons. We'll get up and we'll, we'll go again. Unless, unless you're TV in the neighborhood of um, a good place. And then when the air conditioner fell on him, he wound up in the good place. <laughs> okay. No spoilers. <laughs> no, no spoiler spoilers. alerts, but uh, <laughs> you know, it's a good show, but you know, with all this, stick with us for our countdown of the Koshas. Kosha countdown. <laughs> and um, next week is Pranamaya Kosha. So we did touch on the energy here a little bit because, you know, we are holistic beings and inseparable. Uh, but next week, our focus will be the through, through the lens of breath and energy. Awesome. And yeah, stay with us and, and check our website. If you the programs are, you know, we're going to be spending a lot more time on them and we would love to see you there. It really transform with us. Be a transformer. Oh yes. Be a transformer until next time. Until next time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening, for rating, reviewing, and subscribing to our channels and other stuff. Thank you for inspiring us to have these conversations and to create contemplative live experiences that move our bodies, hearts, and minds to the rhythm of our highest selves. Thank you for showing up. Feel free to send us your stories, questions, and comments to anecdotalanatomy at gmail.com. As always, we want to thank our amazing editor, Judith George, Keith Kenny for our fun music, and Cindy Fatsis for our photos. Journey with us as we continue down the roads of discovery, taking the detours and meeting the mysteries. You are our why. See you next time.